Welcome to Toxic Tangents, powered by Million Marker. We're here to discuss and answer questions about everyday toxic chemicals in our lives. Learn more about Million Marker and how we can help minimize your toxic exposures at millionmarker.com. And now, here's our latest episode. Welcome back to Toxic Tangents, Million Markers podcast. Today, we will be continuing with Jackie Bowen to talk more about the Clean Label Project and how toxic chemicals affect our lives. Mm -hmm. I've seen in stores a lot of cans now say BPA-free. Does that mean there's another bisphenol in the lining or is it completely different chemical? Do you know anything about these kind of newer cans? Oh, I don't know, but I would, I would guess, I mean, that's another thing too, is it's, it's hard and it's always a moving target because the first initial bad guy was BPA. And so that everyone stopped using BPA, but then they switched to something called BPS. And so then it's one where it's kind of like, you know, again, going back to that whole thing of like, you don't want to switch one poison for another poison. And it's like, oh, you get a pat on the back for now having BPA, even though you swapped it for this other bad one over here. So it's kind of a moving target. It would be interesting to see how to test for uh, more of those biphenols um, as part of that process. I'll send you some cans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) All right. Do you have kind of one or two things that consumers can do maybe on the easier side of things they can do to try to limit exposure to some of these chemicals in their foods and products? Absolutely. So when it comes to limiting your exposure, especially to things like plastics and plasticizers, heavy metals, pesticides is kind of within the scope of a clean label project, what we look at. First, it would be a matter, and and I even learned this one from, from you guys, but it obviously makes sense. So often when you go and you get carry out, you will, it'll end up in obviously your plastic containers. Don't heat things in plastic containers. You can obviously transition it over to ceramic or glass. When you're buying products, make sure to store them in plastic and glass. I mean, I know that I, within my, within my house, I didn't, I, I struggle with this whole thing because I'm also really try to be an environmental steward in terms of not throwing away plastic and not throwing away, you know, single use things and stuff like that. But, but it's also one where as things start to kind of fall apart and you get rid of them, replacing it with just glass and really good, really good quality. So I would say those are really, really important places to start that are easy fixes in in terms of day-to-day in your home. Great. And I'll put a little plug in for our uh, approved product list on our Million Marker website. We do have a lot of recommendations for food storage containers that people can look into. Yeah. Also these food storage containers, Tina actually contacted every manufacturer to actually make sure okay, are you actually using PPA lining or are you using PPA alternatives? So we definitely got confirmation nice. from these manufacturers. Oh, that's a good one. So uh, back to the, the companies themselves, how do they respond to the work of the Clean Label Project? Do you've had, have you had positive feedback or any kind of negative feedback or pushback with your work? Oh yeah, I mean it's a it's either a love or a hate relationship. I have one PR I have one PR gal that she tells me like, listen, Jackie, unless you receive two cease and desist letters, you haven't done your job in terms of making sure that it gets out there to consumers. Because let's be honest, it's one where you know consumers and consumer reaction ultimately will affect industry change. And if it's one where it affects bottom line, then it's like brands will take action. And so Clean Label Project, the way we look at it is we're nothing but the messenger. Like we talked about, marketing departments do an effective job at, at selling comfort and security. Go into any grocery store and I dare you to find me one product that on the product package, it says, eh, 
this, t- this product is entirely average. Frankly, it doesn't taste very good. Listen, it's a little bit overpriced. We use the BPA lining because we needed to extend that shelf life. But listen, we made our margins. Nothing says that. Everything says it's full of nothing but wholesome goodness, natural. It's the best for this and that. So how, how do you actually differentiate between the good and the bad? And that's where science comes into it. And at the end of the day, it's one where it's like consumers are left you know, from, from like an economic perspective, it's called information asymmetry, where one party knows more information than the other. But if the other party found out about it, they'd be pissed and they'd feel duped. And that's the state of consumers is so much of it is based on trust, you know, but at at the, at its core though, I would also say that, you know, in no way do I feel that industry across any different categories that they're out there intentionally peppering their products with heavy metals, pesticides, plastics, quite the contrary. I feel like industry wants to do the right thing, but from an engineering perspective, what gets measured gets done. And in the absence of federal and public policy requiring heavy metals, pesticides, plastics to be part of that whole food safety regulatory fabric in America. It's just something that's not being paid attention to. You know, so much of the food safety regulatory fabric in America is focused on things like E. coli, salmonella, listeria, things that'll have an acute exposure resulting in vomiting, diarrhea, sometimes worse within 24 to 72 hours. When you're talking about plastics, heavy metals, pesticides, it can take years, even decades to manifest itself in chronic disease. You know, what you don't hear about people saying is like, you know, this is going to, you know, because you ate something yesterday, you're going to automatically have this other effect tomorrow. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen that way. So it's a matter of, you know, right now, I definitely think there is change in the air, but it's something that's not going to happen soon. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. It seems too, like it's, it's hard for consumers themselves sometimes to hear this information. Like they, they don't want to know that what they've been buying has been bad for them or bad for their families. And there's maybe some pushback there as well. So I found in terms of educating consumers, there's a certain amount of kind of understanding that feeling as well. I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. And just like the same thing with, with industry is that there's so many out there that are also doing really cool progressive things that have been all over it for quite some time. It's like, yeah, we've been watching the trend for like a decade. Like we saw this wave coming a long time ago. Same thing that when you see consumers start talking about and getting concerned about GMOs, it's one where it's like, Consumers will tell you, influencers will tell you, American Academy of Pediatrics will tell you what it is that families are concerned about. It's just a matter of, you know, brands and industry proactively deciding to give a damn and start changing, even in the absence of, of a federal policy requiring them to. But with, with families, it's also one with, with consumers. It's, it's sometimes reality is hard. And sometimes the other thing too is that Sometimes data will fly in the face of conventional wisdom. You know, one of the one of my biggest examples of that is I will say that, you know, USDA certified organic, absolutely. After testing, you know, thousands if not tens of thousands of food and consumer products, the USDA certified organic prom- promised less exposure to pesticides. Absolutely holds true. However, heavy metals and plastics currently have no role within the USDA National Organic Program standard. The reality is that, unfortunately, less than 1% of agricultural land in the U.S. is certified organic. Because of that, when it comes to requiring, you know, how to how to create and have access to different type of soil amendments and things like that for for farmers, the USDA National Organic Program actually allows for the use of conventional compost. So uh, when it comes to compost, you obviously you don't want to use synthetic fertilizers or anything like that within organic. But then what happens is they get conventional compost which 80% of the time come from conventional 
chicken facilities convention. So what you have is like conventional chicken litter. So that's going to be the poop and it's going to be the feathers and that kind of stuff. And where do heavy metals, you know, and then not to mention, you're talking about like high density in industrial animal production facilities, you know, and then you've got heavy metals because you potentially have a, you know, antibiotic and that kind of stuff, um, exposure as well. And then this is the same type of stuff that compost that is then allowed to be applied to this, you know, beautiful, pure certified organic fields. And then what you're the result of it is, you know, sometimes you see elevated levels of heavy metals in some certified organic products. It puts us between a rock and a hard place because you absolutely want to support organic. So many benefits associated with that. But on the other side, we've got this very real reality that, you know, right now, access to organic in terms of agriculture here domestically is quite limited. Seems that transparency is going to be so important through the supply chain. And you almost want to like put everything on blockchain to be transparent. You know, at the end of the day, we have to sleep in the bed that we've made, you know, from a societal perspective, because of our choicing around our choices around mining, fracking, industrial agriculture, the use of recycled wastewater, these contaminants end up in the air, the water and the soil. And because of that, it's one where it's like, these are just, you know, sometimes these levels of contaminants that are in the soil and the water that end up in our food. These are externalities from other industries that have this adverse health, have the adverse effect both on food and agriculture and ultimately on public health. So moving into some of your work with heavy metals, I've been seeing a lot of media coverage on Clean Level Project's work with heavy metals in, in baby food products. Can you tell us more about your efforts as it relates to supporting the Baby Food Safety Act of 2021? Sure. So Clean Label Project, we published a peer-reviewed study back in 2019 looking at the levels of lead and cadmium in America's best-selling infant formulas and baby food. Those are always important. Baby food and just looking at what we feed to America's most vulnerable populations is always interesting. So the World Health Organization considers the first thousand days of life as critically important to long-term health and wellness of a newborn human, not to mention it's the window of opportunity where optimum brain and immune system development are established. So it is where it's like, what is it that we're actually feeding these kiddos. Looking at when you test this stuff, it's one where you see, you know, it's always interesting when you see single data points and you guys, I'm sure love looking at analytical chemistry test reports, but it's like when you have like big data and you're like, whoa, I've got like 500 products, each of them with 400 data points. What I always find most fascinating is like, you can see the mean and median and that those are interesting, but then, you know, I love looking at like the statistical outliers of like, what are the common denominators of these crazy numbers? What are the common denominators of like the products that consist consistently test well? So along those lines, it's, it's interesting that we've, you know, we were able fortunately in order to lend to lend a hand over to the different representatives that are working on the baby food safety act of 2021 based on our knowledge of like, Nope, there's certain ingredients that are higher risk. Nope. There's certain things that are realistic to achieve in terms of an infant formula, especially with infant formula. It's the exclusive form of nourishment for so many babies during that critical period of development. Infant formula is the most highly regulated food in America when it comes to nutrition, but here it is that it's one where we don't pay attention from a heavy metal perspective. Not to mention that it's also one with infant formula, you've got the cumulative effect, right? You take the water and you mix it with the formula, you've got both of them. So if you've got a drinking water problem and an infant formula problem, you know, then it's even, it's even a worse situation. So yes, we've been able to lend some of our expertise of what we've observed over the past uh, few years, investigating what we feed to America's most vulnerable populations. To hear more about Jackie and the Clean Label Project, 
please stay tuned for the next episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jia Xingfeng. Theme music by Joe Rochester and Grady Harper. Visit us at millionmarker.com to learn about our test kit and other services, read our blog posts on a variety of topics, ask a question that you'd like answered, or suggest a topic for us to discuss on the show. Thanks for listening.